Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Recap Race Analysis. Yes, it's on the podcast and uh, podcast exclusive. Today, I'm joined with Patrick Blake of Audu Cycling, one third of the Echelon Cycling Podcast, as always. But um, yeah, Patrick, not exactly, and that's why we're only doing the podcast, not exactly the most exhilarating day, but what happened nonetheless? Uh, yeah, you're right. It, it wasn't really the most entertaining of stages, but it ended in a sprint. And you know what? You got to have these stages in here to kind of give people a day off. You can't have mountaintop finishes all the time, I suppose. But we had a two-man break with Yetzibol and Badderstone. I think his name is. I can't actually remember for Kyra Rao. But they got reeled in with about an hour's racing still to go. Before the intermediate sprint even happened, Alpsin was bringing it back. And uh, yet they got brought back and then Yetzibol attacked again, but then was brought back pretty quickly after that. At the intermediate sprint, it was Caden Groves who won there to get more more sprint points for the uh, for the green jersey, which seems more and more locked down as the days progress. Primoz Roglic finished in second place, though. He gained four seconds on GC. And then Kasper Pedersen, of Sudar Quickstep, he finished in third place. I presume he was trying to deny Roglic of the bonus point, bonus seconds, but wasn't able to do so. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. In the finale, it was less sketchy. I want to say, <laughs> like it was, it was a bit better safety wise, I guess, from the other sprints that we've had in the first week. But it was Alpsen who, as per, took up control, and you know, going into even into the final kilometer, they had three riders up on the front. Uh, including Caden Groves, and it looked pretty set that Groves was just going to get, you know, an armchair ride to the finish. Other people were trying to jostle for his for his wheel, like Marijn van den Berg, Edward Turns, Danese, Alois, uh, Hugo Page, and Boyd van Poppel, whichever one they were sprinting for today. But coming from way downtown was UAE Team Emirates with, I think it was Rui Oliveira and Juan Sebastian Milano in tow who jumped Alperson. And as a consequence of that, they got so they, they got a little bit squeezed. And as a consequence, Groves like clipped his teammate's wheel, unclipped before the sprint, which allowed UAE to get again a little bit of a gap. And, you know, then Groves was having to sprint to try and catch up, but all this time Milano was still in the wheel of Rui Oliveira. And it was probably one of the more convincing sprint victories that we've seen. Because uh, yeah, Milano came out of the wheel of Rui Oliveira, took took his first stage win of this Welt. Of course, he won a stage of a Vuelta last year on the final stage when he was leading out Pascal Ackerman. But he was led out to perfection by Rui Oliveira. Like if there was a man, like a man of a match performance today, it was Rui Oliveira because he single handedly won Milano that sprint. In my opinion, I think it was an an extraordinary lead-out performance. Probably one of the best ones I may have ever seen, actually. Um, you know, that was a Danny Van Poppel-style-esque lead-out performance, or Matthew Van Der Poel or Wattmanar, whoever you think is the best lead-out man. Rui Oliveira put his hat in the ring there today and uh, really, really saved Milano's skin there. And yeah, Groves finished in second place, slamming the bars. Obviously, he was pretty miffed. Uh, and then it was Boy Van Poppel, I think, who finished in third place. I think he was leading out Hugo Page, but accidentally ended up finishing in third place, so that was a little bit peculiar. And then everyone else, just all the other guys, just kind of filtered in behind that. But I will... So the top 10 officially is Juan Sebastian Milano, followed by Caden Groves, Boy Van Poppel, Rui Oliveira, after an outstanding lead-out, finishes in fourth place. Edward Turns in fifth. Marlene Vandenberg, 
Alberto Dainese, Oluis Aloua, Hugo Page, and Milan Menton rounds out the top 10. Jeffrey Soup did not repeat his antics. He finished somewhere like 13th or 14th place. So what do you make of all that, Scott? I mean, Absolutely breathtaking stuff. But I, I do agree with you. It was UAE. That was a superb lead out. And yeah, I completely echo what you thought as well. Um, in the in okay, I wouldn't say Danny Van Poppel. My go-to would be Macho Van Der Poel, but definitely yeah. incredible stuff. Um, yeah, Caden Groves and Alpazin. They do you think they were a bit too arrogant about this? That they kind of had this sealed, and everyone else is just playing second fiddle, and then UAE just pinched the win, which was quite favorable. And thinking about this as well. Think about UAE as well. We've spoken about them so many times. They've got Juana Yuzo, Almeida, Mark Soleil, and then somehow they managed to like fabricate this sprint win. I think that's quite sensational. That's pretty sensational. Yeah, you are right. Considering the lack of support that Milano has, like this was almost like a, it was a bit of a hail mary. I want to say, like it was a like all like if, if Milano's going to win a sprint, it's going to be through catching people off guard, and that's exactly what they did. I think you're right about Alperson. I think maybe they're just like, oh, you know, we're just, you know, we're at the front here. Nobody's going to come flying past us. And then bang, like the duo of Rui Oliveira and Milano just jump them. And, you know, could Groves have won it if he hadn't have been forced to unclip? I think maybe he could have done. He was coming very fast. I would probably say that he is the fastest sprinter in the field. I think that Milano just got you know, he, he got the jump on him today. And by the time that Groves even had the chance to respond to it, Milano already had bike lengths on him and he was still in the wheel of Rui Oliveira. So I think that once UE deployed that move, Groves was like, he, he was, he, he didn't really stand that much of a chance because it was just too hard to come back on that. But yeah, maybe Alperson won't be, you know, resting on their laurels in the next sprint. Maybe they'll... You know, they'll be a little bit more brutal and be checking over their shoulders to see if UAE are going to be launching a bit of a flyer. Because honestly, I've, I've, it was an effective move. If UAE do that again, um, and Alperson, you know, get fooled again, then that's my shame. What was it? Fool me once, shame on me. Oh no, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So uh, Alperson, I don't think we'll be making that mistake again. I mean, we might as well talk about uh, Juan Sebastian Milano a bit more. I think he isn't given enough credit to some of the results he's achieved. Been a bit in the shadow of Fernando Gaviria, but it's not like this is his first big result by any means. And what do you make of, of the Colombian rider? I don't really know. He can seem a little bit hot-headed because from what my my kind of first memory of him Maybe some others. It was one was from the Dauphiné last year when he was like grabbed the helmet of Hugo Page in a sprint towards like the last few Ks, and then he like tried to I don't know have a fight with him after the stage. So he is a little bit hot headed, and I guess that doesn't have the best of public opinion about him. But he is freaking fast. You can't deny that he is. You know, probably not given enough opportunities for his own kind of sprinting you know this is probably one of the first times this year that i've seen him have his own sprint he's usually a lead out man but i think that he is fast enough to be his own out and out sprinter and deserves his own lead out and you know he's i think he's proven today that he is you know a really good sprinter and he probably deserves a little bit more support from a team 
other than just like a couple of lead out men as like a bit of a token gesture. But yeah, I'd like to see maybe going forwards, maybe Milano gets a little bit more support in the sprints because of course they've been, like you say, they've had a Gaviria, they've had Ackerman in here and Milano's already always been the second fiddle to those guys. So maybe this will be the changing that, you know, Milano needs to be able to kick on and become the sprinter UE have always kind of wanted because they've never really been that dominant in the sprints of UE. Yeah, that's true. Uh, they even had Christoph at one point. Uh, yeah. I'll, yeah, not not to be like as if I am any better, but he has actually won quite a bit this year. Uh, I was completely in your boat as well. I was thinking this was his first victory. Uh, he won a stage at the UAE Tour. He won a stage, well, actually he won the GP Denan, which obviously has quite a bit of cobbles. Sometimes I think they reduced it a bit. Uh, the Welta Burgers, he won the opening stage. And then obviously he was second on stage four here in uh, in the Welta Espana. But yeah, I mean, you are right though. It's not like he's the upper echelon of cycling. He's 28 as well. And with the likes of, uh, yeah, well, we keep mentioning him. He's not at the Vuelta Espana. He's at the Tour of Britain. But Olaf Coy, that likes a rider who are like, yeah, almost 10 years younger than him, destroying cycling already. Yeah, but you know what? It's better that Milano gets given that opportunity now than never. Um, you know, because he is, he is clearly pretty fast. And like the results you just read out, you know, aside from a UAE Tour, those aren't world tour level events. I feel like he needs more of those, but it's so hard when you've got such a GC focused team. Like, when is there the opportunity where there isn't a Pagatra, an Almeida, a, a Uzo, a Micah, a McNulty, an Ulissi, a Velens? Like, the list goes on and on, on, a Hershey as well. Like, the list goes on where you're going to have some guy there who could do a GC job. And therefore, he probably only gets like ever half of a team to kind of support him but and especially since UAE now you know they seem to be competitive in all three Grand Tours they had Almeida then they had Pagatra and now here they've got Almeida and Ayuso it's kind of like where does where does Milano fit in would he fit in better at a different team perhaps like I reckon maybe that might be a decent option for him to try and do because like I just don't I feel like he's good enough to be to, to warrant more support but I don't think UAE are going to be able to give that I think that's a very fair analysis. I'm also going to just backtrack a bit on my comments because I think he is a very good rider. 23 victories, two, two Welta Espana wins in two years. There's no, nothing. Yeah, it's yeah. not something easy to do. So, uh, yeah, I will just say that I think it's pretty cool what, what he's doing. But, um, yeah, do you think, you said earlier, do you think they might be taking more victories with the Colombian here? Um, I reckon we could take another another one. You know, we've still probably got two sprint opportunities left to go. I think there's one on stage. I want to say it's stage 19. And then there's also the one around Madrid and stage 21. So I'd say that's two decent chances. Of course, he does need things to go right. He doesn't have that full lead out. He needs to kind of surf the wheels. And I reckon today was kind of not like a once in a blue moon, but it was kind of a, kind of one of, like one of those things that comes off every 10 times. So I reckon it's going to be pretty tricky to pull it off again. But, you know, I'm not going to ride him off. I do think that he is probably like a top three sprinter in this race. And therefore, he definitely has a chance of winning again. I mean, seeing what UAE do, it would be great to have all of Koi here. But I mean, yeah, yeah, seems like he only needs Walt Van Aert next to him. But 
yeah, that aside, uh, we also saw, well, keeping on Roglic and Jumbo Visma, well, keeping on Jumbo Visma, um, yeah, Roglic taking the bonus seconds. I mean, you, you're kind of like, you're on both sides in a way. You kind of say time taken is time taken, but also it's a bit pointless when tomorrow is the tourmalet and you could form seconds isn't going to make any difference if you're dropped, for example. So what did yeah. you make of this? I don't. I just don't know. I mean, it's just still the same thing. It's like great. It's four seconds. Is four Vuelta? Is four seconds going to decide this Vuelta? Likely not, considering the scale of the mountains that we still got to come. But you know, you got an opportunity to gain four seconds for fairly minimal effort, considering the stage was very dead. Doing one kind of sprint to kind of gain four seconds is seems pretty minimal effort to to do that you know maybe just to even excite the day a bit it's like oh let's go try get some bonus seconds because otherwise we're just gonna be riding around in zone one all the time just just not really doing anything so i don't know maybe just bored you know for four second we've seen remco gain six sprint we've seen Jonas finish third place in a sprint um and i was seeing roglic finish second in a sprint and Neither of them, I don't know, but they all seem pretty, I don't know, small in the grand scheme of things of the whole Grand Tour. Is that, oh, look at these bonus second fights going on. Um, If a race is won by less than four seconds, then we look back on this and be like, damn, that was a good move. But, you know, until that point, I will remain on the fence as to whether this is worthwhile or not. Personally, I think it's just a little bit of a waste of time and you should probably just stay in your GC box. But they're gaining time, so it can't be a waste of time. <laughs> just, <laughs> I don't, it's just like, oh, I don't I know. I mean, the infamous 2011 World Espanol was actually won on bonus seconds by Juan Sebastián, uh, Juan uh, Copo, but Chris yeah. Froome, obviously, that was overturned because of blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, so Chris Froome actually rode the Welter that year quicker than Corbo, but because of bonus seconds, which is why I'm not a fan of bonus seconds. But then we can see the strange situation going on in the Tour of Britain where every single stage is a flat stage. And Yeah, that's weird. I mean, I, I guess maybe it's also just a thing that old Roglic gets four bonus seconds. It's just a bit of a... Kind of like when Avonapool attacked yesterday and put everyone in the hurt um, at the top of a climb that Jesus Harada won up. It's kind of just a, like a morale thing, just a one-up on the people. You know, it's like, oh, look at me, I gained four bonus seconds and, you know, you didn't. So therefore, I've got like an ever so slight edge. And maybe it's just more mental games than actual, you know, the time gap matters. It's more just kind of, oh, you know, I'm doing better because I gained four seconds on you today. And, you know, m maybe it's just more to do with that. But I don't know, that would be some pretty 4D chess for Jumbo to be playing. Um, I'm not sure if they're really thinking about that. They're probably just thinking we're going to smash Tormelay tomorrow and, uh, you know, put minutes into people. I mean, we might as well turn our focus towards the Tormelay stage. Obviously, we're going to do the live stream tomorrow on the Cycling mm -hmm. Dane channel. And obviously, we'll do the video recap as well on the Cycling Dane next channel. But yeah, Patrick, what do you make of this stage? Not the longest stage, plenty of climbs as well. And encroaching, encroaching into France, uh, into 
French mythical mountains, not not just like any random mountain. This is one of the stages which, when the route was released, you know, last year, it was one of those everyone saw and thought, this is almost inhumane. And like you say, it's got the Caldorbisk in there, it's got the Spandels, then the Tourmalay, which is like so long, like it's almost 20k is like 7%. It's it's ridiculous. It's one of the big kind of gargantuan climbs in cycling, and it's been known for creating big time gaps. What was it last time when we finished up here? Was it was it Thibaut Pino 2019? That was the last time that a stage was finished up up here from a Grand Tour. So I'm very much looking forward to it just for the spectacle of the Tourmalet. You know, not that's not even considering what's probably going to happen in terms of GC. You know, I think this is going to be the stage where Jumbo is going to really, you know, they're going to have to make a decision on this triple leader, whatever thing. Although Jonas was seen getting bottles today, which is just a little thing. But maybe he's not the guy. But I don't know. That's just a maybe. Maybe maybe that's me being too much for D chess. I don't really know. But I think that yeah, this is going to be the stage where Yumbo needs to decide on like the Cus situation, the the, the Roglic thing. Remco's going to need to make a statement as well. And you know, and there's also like a Yuzo and Almeida. You know, all the players. You know, because. Everything's still relatively tight on GC. I think this is going to be the first day where hopefully things get opened up a little bit more and we see some cracks and some fissures between some of the riders, bigger time gaps, so then we can kind of move out of this very kind of nip-and-tuck battle that we've got at the moment and try to see a bit more Hail Mary stuff later on in the race because at the moment everyone's just kind of taking a couple of seconds out of each other and, you know, I wanted to see minutes and I reckon the Tormelay is going to be you know, the theatre for this to happen. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, do you actually know how many times the tournament has been used as a finish, summit finish? I was quite surprised by this because it's been basically almost in every single Tour de France edition, there or thereabouts. Mm. But how many times has it been used as a finish? Um, Is this tour? Like just a tour? Yeah, yeah, it, it, only the Tour de France. Um, Four. Okay, very close. Three, yeah. Oh, like you know, I was what? gonna say I, three, but I was like, nah, I can't be three. If you asked me this morning, I would have said like 10, 15 times, but it's always yeah. just one in the middle, isn't it? Yeah, nineteen seventy four was the first one. Then twenty ten with Contador and Schlecht, and then as you said yeah. as well, Pino. But uh, yeah, last time, well, it was used this year as wow. well with Tobias Haller Johansson, the first rider crossing the line. Um. Oh. Yeah, uh, predictions. We, we might as well do predictions. Who who's going to be the first rider on top of the Col de Tourmalet? Who's going to be the red jersey? We'll do two. Um, I'll go. I did. I said on the echelon. I said that a Yuzo is going to win. So I'll double down on that. I'll say that a Yuzo wins somehow, and Red will shift to Avonapool. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to think, oh, well, I'm going to say Jonas Vingegaard is going to win the stage. So that means he's not going to win it by logic of uh, what normally happens. And the red jersey is going to go to Marc Soler. Oh, oh yeah. Fair, GC Marc fair. Soler. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Like that. But anyways, that's it for our special Vuelta España 2023 recap race analysis here of stage 12. 
make sure to join us over in the live commentary tomorrow on the main Cycling Dane channel. And of course, make sure to check out Patrick's channel as well, Audu Cycling. Are you actually giving an update of your fantasy or your your Velo games? Um, I forgot, to be honest, for the first rest day because it was going bad. I'd rather just not look at it. But ah, okay. <laughs> made, I, need, I need to do one for like Quebec and Montreal. Those are coming up, so I'll probably do some videos for them. But that's basically it for us. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you tomorrow.